Well, hey there, it's great to see you again. It's me, Pastor Mark, coming to you from the other side of your television or your computer or whatever you're watching this on. Pray you're well. I uh, am so pleased to be uh, coming to you freshly shorn. I had my hair cut uh, this past week and uh, man, it felt good. I'm not a huge haircut lover. I do it because I have to, but this one felt great. It had been too long. I'm also uh, sporting some whiskers. I don't know if you can tell. I don't know if they get picked up on the, uh, the camera, but I'm, I'm pretty impressed with this, this most recent beard of mine. It's, it's the fullest it's ever been. Pretty gray, but uh, uh, still pretty happy with the results, so hope you are too. <laughs> like I said, it's great to see you uh, online with us, together apart. Here we are again. Uh, I know we're all looking forward to the day that we can safely return to our campus and uh, I remain hopeful for that day's arrival with you and look forward to letting you know as soon as we do when it has arrived. In light of that, uh, we're going to continue to prompt you through the week with emails and, and messages. So be watching your um, mailboxes and, and our social media posts for uh, further information. Also want to encourage you at the beginning of our services here on the weekends to, to watch the announcements. They're hysterical, uh, but they also give great information as to what's coming up and what's going on. We'll be uh, telling you more uh, even as we end this service. Stick around uh, and listen to what Tom has to say. We're in this series uh, that started at the beginning of this pandemic. It's called What Really Matters? Uh, we've just been trying to, in this period of shutdown, to just kind of break down everything that matters most. And uh, so uh, we find ourselves in the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with us there. Uh, we're going to be studying just one verse today, verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, and what we're going to find there is that... Uh, Peter commands us to hope fully in the grace that we receive in Christ Jesus. I, I can't wait to take a deeper dive into what uh, our Christian hope is really about. It's kind of going to kind of be like a how it's made episode. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but I think it's on the Discovery Channel. It kind of gives a behind the scenes peek at so many of the things that we uh, use in life, everything from um, mobile homes, mobile homes to, to donuts. I like, I like the food episodes. Those are fun. But uh, Anyway, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to take a, a deep dive into how hope works, and uh, can't wait to do that with you. But let's talk about hope, <laughs> something that uh, we as Christ followers have received in full from Jesus. It's, it's not something that we chase. Uh, it's more something that we realize, kind of like we talked about joy last week. It's part of us. It's who we are. We are uh, in joy and in hope and, and in faith. It's, it's, it's what we have in Christ. Uh, I, I, I spent a, a, a couple of minutes earlier this week on, on a morning that I was getting ready to, to head off somewhere, I don't know, to work or somewhere else. But uh, has anybody ever done this? Um, I, I was sure that I had lost my keys. And so I, I ran around my house looking for my keys only to tap my pocket finally and realize they were in my pocket. Has anybody ever done that? Maybe that's what happens when you turn a certain age, but uh, I'm doing that more often now. And I think the Christ life is, is kind of like that. We can think that we're missing something that's already here. And that's how it is with hope. Um, uh, today, uh, I want us to focus in our time together specifically on why hope really matters. Uh, but then, like we talked about, I, I want us to go deeper into how it works, uh, all from this one verse. So let's start with this. Uh, before we get into hope, let's talk about it. I know we uh, typically do that when we're together here, when we are together here in our room. Uh, but you're perhaps with somebody in the room uh, as you're watching this. 
Uh, turn to someone right now, and, and without thinking, just the first thing that comes to mind, what are you hoping for in life? Just tell them right now, go. Now, for everybody who's sitting by themselves without someone to talk to, here's the great thing about being in your house. You can talk out loud and no one will know. So if you're by yourself, tell yourself, say it out loud. Uh, bring it in, into reality by saying it audibly. Now, what are you hoping for in life? Ready, go. All right, now, I hope everybody's had a chance to share with someone else or with themselves what we're hoping for. Now, kind of like we do here when we're together, everybody on the count of three, tell me all at once what you're hoping for. Ready? One, two, three. I think I heard some of you. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe some of you are uh, hoping uh, for the end of a pandemic, hoping for uh, your job to be there in a, a couple weeks when you, when you come out of this thing. Um, Whatever it is, maybe some of you are just hoping that, you know, lunch uh, comes soon. I don't know. But listen, everybody hopes. It's part of living as a human being in a time continuum. It's part of having next moments to look forward to. We all have our pictures of how the, the future could be and should be. And we call these pictures our hopes. But the Bible, as it so often does, takes us beyond this typical understanding that we have for something. It takes us beyond this definition of hope uh, into something that's, that's way more than just a, a descriptor of a preferred future. Uh, what we're going to learn today that, is that hope is this tool that God has given us uh, that aids us in, in persevering through the very hardest of times. It's, it's this, um, this incredible thing. I'm so excited to talk to you about it. Uh, hopefully you're already open to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Here, here's what this verse says that we're going to study today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, before we go much further into this verse, let's go backwards a little bit into what we've already studied. If you've been watching online over these past three weeks, you know that uh, Peter wrote this initial letter uh, uh, to a group of churches that were in the boondocks of Christendom uh, in a region that was referred to back then as Asia Minor, but uh, we know it now as, as modern-day Turkey in, in, the, in, the, in the, the, the spaces just north of that country. Um, I call them boondock churches because uh, these churches were really small and really spread out and isolated from each other and their support. Um, those who belonged to these churches had left their former religions for this offshoot of Judaism that was called the Way. We, we know it today to be Christianity. Uh, a further reading of the whole epistle is going to make it clear to us that these first century believers were a deeply persecuted bunch. And, and much of what we read in 1 Peter is dedicated to encouraging uh, these, these early followers to persevere in the face of their opposition. So it's with this backdrop of persevering in the midst of persecution that uh, we can better understand what our verse that we're studying today really says. Peter opens verse 13 with this word, therefore. And it, it's his way of pointing us back to not only who, he, uh, who he's writing to, but also to the things that he said in the previous 12 verses. Uh, he's using a common literary method uh, that lots of biblical writers and, and other writers uh, use when they're trying to make their points. Uh, they, Peter and others like him spend their time making a case for what we have been given in the Bible uh, by God and, and then command a way of life in light of those findings. It, it goes something like this. Here are some things that are true about God. Therefore, we should act this way. 
In this age, we've come up with a fancy name for this literary style. We call this a conditional statement. It's an if-then. We do it all the time in our conversation. If this is true, then this is our course of action. Actually, some of our more famous sayings are set up like this. How about this one? See if you can complete it with me. If the shoe fits, yeah, many of you said just wear it, but, but implied in there, if the shoe fits, then wear it. How about this one? If you make the bed, maybe this is a little less known, then you have to lie in it. If you make the bed, you gotta lie in it. How about this one? I went back to my geometry class from eighth grade. See if you can remember this far back. If A equals B and B equals C, everybody got it? Then A equals C. Nice job, those of you who did. So Peter's doing the same thing, and, and, and we need to discover what, what, what inference is Peter making with his conditional statement. And, and in the words of other preachers, and maybe even me when I've used it, um, what is this therefore, therefore? Well, I think this conditional statement is, is built off of the ideas contained in, in verses 3 through uh, 12 of, of 1 Peter, which all build off of the good news that is first revealed in, in verses 3 and 4, where it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And I love these verses. These are some of the, the biggest party verses, uh, it, not just in Peter, uh, Peter's writings, but in all of Scripture. Peter comes out of the chute praising God. All praise be to our God for this new life that he gives, for the new hope that this new life brings, for the sure inher- inheritance that awaits us in heaven, all of which is ours because of God's great mercy, which he has shown to us in Christ. Man, it's from these truths that Peter pivots here in verse 13 with the word therefore. It's his way of setting up this if then. And basically here's what he's saying. If God has given us these amazing graces through his mercy and and through our faith, then, then we should live with our hope set fully on the grace that he's given us and that he will give us at the revealing of Jesus in his second coming. Read it again with that in mind. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, here's the imperative, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I highlighted the, uh, the command there that Pete issues in, in that verse. Everybody saw it. I think I even mentioned it. We are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be ours. In so many words, here's what Pete's saying. Live this day and every day with a hope rooted in the day. Look past the difficulties of your present situation to the joy that's set before you on the day of Christ's return. I remember singing this this hymn uh, growing up in in church. uh, it, It went like this, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, my life is worth the living just because he lives. He isn't telling us here in 1 Peter 13 to set our hope on the return of Christ in such a way that we just stare at the sky and wait. Uh, That's what the disciples were doing in Acts 1 as Jesus ascended into heaven after giving giving them their their marching orders. 
That's what an angel appears to them in verse 11 of, of Acts 1 and says, men of Galilee, why are you standing around looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back, guys. You don't have to spend every minute of your life staring at the sky. That'd be a waste. Get with the mission. Get, get going on, on telling others about who he is. Let's be about that. But if you've been on the planet any amount of time, you know that even as we try to live out this mission, even as we try to live our lives in honor of Christ, we live in a world that is marred by sin. And in this world, man, the going gets rough. Persecution is inevitable. And therefore, perseverance is necessary. Uh, so it is that we need a hope set on him and on his return. Even as we keep our physical eyes on what's in front of us, our heart's eyes must remain focused on the security that we have in Christ and in the imminent return of Christ. I mean, I, I love, I don't know if you saw it there, but I love how Peter aims for even greater clarity by telling us to set our hope fully on the grace that will be ours. Seems like there's no room for half hopes in this command. Our, our hope in Christ deserves our full attention at all times. Indeed, anything less will prove to be inadequate and it will lead us to a hope that's, that's perhaps rooted in other things besides him, which always makes a mess. We get this way. Any endeavor uh, that fails to receive our full attention it has the potential of, of turning out really poorly. Um, like a... Uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, had a, well, let me put this one down. I don't know if you've ever had a drink of water and you're not really paying attention to where you're putting your drink of water and, and you think you're putting it down on the table, but, but you're not really putting it down on the table and you kind of think this is the table, but this is the actual table and, you, and you're talking to someone, you're like, oh yeah, and you just, has anybody ever done this? Louder than I thought that would be. Or, or, or perhaps you were in the service, I don't know how long ago, it was about a year ago, we had someone trust Christ, and so we put a rose on the stage, and, and I'm preaching my heart out that night, and, and I uh, inadvertently had left it uh, on our table, and every time I hit this thing, this, this rose just kept going further and further this way until finally uh, it fell off. The rose, or the vase broke, the, the stones that were in it scattered all over the stage. I covered it up pretty well. I'm a pro. Uh, but this is what happens when you're not paying attention. Uh, the same thing happens when it comes to our faith. If we're not paying attention, things go awry. And that's why Peter is saying that a full and focused hope is something that really matters in life. It matters because, uh, I think I said this before, I'll say it again though, it matters because hope is the motor that God gives us Christians to drive us through life. Now as believers, I hope we can all agree to this, um, we understand that we're not to live for what the earth affords, for earthly comforts. And we're not to live for the, the praise of other beings. We, we live our lives as an act of worship to, to an audience of one. Our, our hope in Christ compels us to look past and live beyond the temporary. That we understand, we recognize that this world is not our home, that we are just a passing through. Now, we are the ones who revel in being twice born, uh, made physically initially, and then remade spiritually by the hand of God both times uh, for the glory of God. And, and that's our purpose in life. So when the end comes, whether by Christ's second coming or, or by our first leaving, uh, we, we can know this. Nothing else in this life matters, save these two things, our faith in Christ and what we did for him in his name. This world, all that's in it, 
It's just not going to last. But we do. And the things that we do with God and for God, these are the things that last forever. So, when life crumbles, here's my prayer. I, I pray that in hope we look past our present circumstances and we fix our eyes Jesus, on Jesus uh, and, the, and the grace that awaits us at his return. I pray that when we're going about the allocation of our time and resources, uh, that we might choose the things that bring God the most glory, uh, hoping in, uh, focusing on his return and knowing that on that day, get this, don't forget this, he will review those choices with us. Does anybody remember watching the Bama? Yeah, we're going to stand with Jesus as he plays the tape. Uh, That's why I also pray this. I'll say it again. May may we live this day and every day with a hope rooted in the day that Jesus returns. So that's why hope matters. Now I get to talk to you about why hope works when we're doing it right. Uh, Peter provides a couple metaphors in this verse, both related to our brains or our minds. Um, a lot of the spiritual life uh, resides inside of us in what we think and in, 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 in our hearts and in our convictions before it ever gets to our actions and our words. So pre- Peter f- puts his focus um, there as he describes hope. Uh, and with these two metaphors, he's going to basically set up for us uh, a couple hinges on a door, if I can use that. Uh, both are needed in order for hope to work properly. Ever uh, had that uh, project at your house where one of the hinges of your door has kind of, you know, come loose and, and, and now you got this flapping piece of wood where there should be a cupboard or a door? Yeah, I, I've, I've had that situation. Um, actually had it recently. I was uh, uh, working with my son Cooper on a, a car that he's recently purchased or in the process of purchasing. Uh, it's a Toyota Prius and, and uh, uh, the battery, uh, we, when, we, when we bought the car, we had, we had to jump it every time. Uh, we were told it probably just needed to be charged. It hadn't been run for a while, but uh, come to find out the battery was just bad. The, not the big one in a hybrid, but the, the little one. Anyway, we had, to, we had to change the battery. Did that this morning. Uh, but little did I know, the battery isn't where they keep batteries in most cars. It's actually hidden. It's, it's like a little treasure hunt in this little Toyota. Uh, it was hidden in the back corner of the trunk. And you had to take everything out to be, out to be able to change this thing out. And so we did that. And uh, part of the process, when you have a, a, a car battery that doesn't work in a, in a car that... Uh, has electronic locks, we couldn't open the, the, the hatch. And so I had to come to, it's a long story, but I had to come through the hatchback, through the back seat to get to the battery. And that's when I found it. The, the fold down seat, uh, the hinge on it had come loose. This bolt that held this whole corner of the back seat together had somehow over time just popped off. And you'll be so proud, your pastor got his right-sized ratchet out and promptly uh, screwed that seat back into place. Works like a champ now. Uh, But uh, that's a long way of saying (laughs) hope has these hinges, and they're both necessary for it to work right. So let's talk about our hope hinges as we close. Uh, There's two of them. The first one is this, hope hinges on a ready mind. Uh, Look at that verse one more time. I'll highlight the part that we're talking about. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, this word prepare, uh, it, it's here translated uh, as prepare in the English Standard Version, but, but in other translations like the, uh, the old King James Version and stuff like that, this verse actually reads, gird up the loins of your mind. That's what it actually says. 
gird up the loins of your mind. Not a phrase that rolls off the tongue or gets much play in our current age, but back in the first century when Pete wrote this, man, everybody was with him. Because everybody in those days, man or woman, wore this open-ended skirt-like robe that went down uh, to the knee or sometimes even past the knee. And so girding up your loins was an everyday activity uh, of the first century believer. Uh, you would do it, uh, you would take the actual back of your, of your skirt and you'd pull it up through your front, front uh, of your body and you'd, you'd tuck it into your belt. Uh, if you were going to work in the yard or, or even in the Old Testament when soldiers would gird up their loins, they'd be preparing for battle. I guess a, a modern equivalent might be uh, uh, taking your coat off uh, to do something more active. I was a youth pastor many years ago and... Um, you know, a, a decent basketball player, and so kids would always challenge me to shooting contests, free throw, three points, whatever, and uh, I'd be on the way out or, or, or be coming in from the cold of, of, of an Illinois winter, and so I'd try the first shot with my jacket on, and if you've ever been an athlete and tried to do anything with a coat on, you're at about 50% capacity. And so uh, I would say, wait a second, and I would get off all the layers of clothing I didn't need, and then it was game on. Maybe in, in a... In a more current uh, scene of things. It's like rolling up your sleeves, you know, uh, getting ready to do something. Uh, and, and essentially, whether it's girding up your loins or taking off your coat or rolling up your sleeves, before you weren't ready, but once you've done this, now you are. That's what Peter's trying to convey. Hey, man, get ready. Gird up your loins, roll up your sleeves. Uh, somebody hold my coat so I can exercise the kind of hope that Christ wants me to, to have. Pete's saying that our, our minds must be prepared at all times for all things without let up. Our hope then is, is a disciplined hope uh, whose sensors you know, kind of uh, sense and understand uh, what's going on around them, uh, the things that might dissuade us in our follow of Christ. We're aware of those things when we come against them. I'm uh, so excited to show you guys the new building uh, that in the time of our pandemic has, has basically come to completion. We're still waiting on a couple last inspections, but we're looking forward to the uh, former Women's Resource Center and uh, now called Hope for Her, uh, taking their residence there and our counseling center being there. It's awesome. Uh, it's a beautiful building. God is good. But here's something that I didn't know about uh, current code. Uh, if you want to have one of these buildings, you have to outfit every room with automatic sensors that turn the lights on whenever you come in. Have you been in this room? There's no switch on the wall. You just walk in, it senses your presence, and it turns the lights on. I guess it's cool. Um, but that, to me, as I, I, watched, I walked through the room there with Steve, our, our maintenance guy, that, that to me is kind of what we're supposed to have in our hope. It's this extrasensory hope, this ready, vigilant, aware hope uh, that sees what's going on around it. And uh, whenever something moves, it, it turns on, it comes on, and is prepared to face whatever we face. Jesus, uh, in his teaching of his followers in Luke chapter 12, actually talks about this same kind of vigilance in a parable that he was sharing with them uh, regarding a servant and, and, and the imminent return of his master. Uh, he says to this servant, hey, stay dressed, verse 35. Stay dressed for action. Gird up your loins and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. He says, verse 37, blessed are those who are servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Vigilance, preparedness, uh, loins girded. Let, let me ask you, let, let me ask all of us, how's our hope? Is, is it a ready one 
Or does it take a, a little while for it to warm up? Are we living life in constant anticipation of our master's return, uh, making our choices accordingly? I pray that's true of us because hope, the best hope, hinges on a ready mind. Uh, but it's not just a ready mind that enables our most effective hope. There's a second hinge. Hope hinges on a sober mind, not just a ready mind, but a sober mind. Look what it says there one more time in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter, uh, for his next, uh, you know, teach, takes us to the bar in this next metaphor. Uh, he contrasts the clear-headedness of Christian hope, the, 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 uh, the, the awareness, the, the clear-headedness that we're meant to have with the polluted mind of a drunk. Sober here is the Greek word nepho. Everybody say nepho. Nice. And it means sober or in the real or in reality without delusion or hallucination. In the same passage there that I read to you earlier in Luke, Jesus goes on in that same run of things and he talks about the danger of losing this kind of clear-headedness as we await the return of the master that he had referenced. He says, but if that same servant says to himself, verse 45, Luke 12, if that same servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants, hey oh, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Maybe that's what happened first before the beatings. I don't know, but all of it's out of bounds. He says, verse 46, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Whoa. Uh, Jesus uh, it's pretty clear there. Uh, he's, he's basically, as he teaches, saying to those who are kind of on the fence with him, who, who might think, you know, I got plenty of time to make this decision. It's going to be a while before, you know, the return of, of my master. I'm, I'm just going to live how I want. I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, delude and pollute myself however I want <clears throat> with eat and drink. And I'm going to act how I want. Uh, and, and what Jesus says is, hey, man, you don't know how much time you got. Uh, that would be my encouragement to you. If you're kind of waiting on Jesus and and waiting on becoming serious about him because you think you got all this time in the world, you might want to step it up uh, because uh, as Jesus says here, if he comes back and he finds you without him, without faith in him, living life apart from him, the consequences are dire. Yeah, it's better to live with Christ in a sober-minded relationship with a sober-minded hope. But it's not just in hope that Peter uses this metaphor of being sober. He, he uses it a couple other times in his book. Let me take you to them. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says, the end of all things is at hand. Again, speaking of the imminent return of Christ. He says, therefore, be self-controlled. Gird up your loins, right? And be sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. He, he makes this point. Listen, with clear minds, with clear-headedness, clear we understand better what's going on in our world, and we're able to better apply ourselves to the things that are spiritually necessary for what we face in life. We're, we're able to understand it's time to pray when we're self-controlled and sober-minded. <clears throat> we also see uh, in, a, in the next chapter a more familiar verse. It says this in chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, who's heard this one? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to us being um, uh, the object of our adversaries' uh, hate and, and schemes, um, P 
Peter commends to us, this sober-minded life, this, this awareness that is so necessary to be able to sense where we're being attacked and to be able to pray against it and uh, come against it by the power of Christ. Yeah. Over and over, Peter uses this metaphor to show that success in, in many of the aspects of the Christ life, it depends us on us living in, in a sober-minded way. But, but man, I think it's especially crucial when it comes to hope. And here's why. Follow me here. Stay with me on this part. Is everybody with me? All right. Can we all agree that sober is the opposite of drunk? <laughs> yeah, drunk, uh, drunk people uh, typically lack, lack inhibition. It's kind of, you know, part and parcel. Uh, and, and drunk people often do things that they regret. So, so this isn't a sermon on drinking, but, but let me just say where I land on this subject so we all know. Based on my understanding of Scripture, having a drink is fine, but being drunk is never okay. Too many things can go wrong when the Spirit is no longer in control of us and our minds. So with that said, let me note some of the things that I've, I've kind of seen uh, in drunk folks uh, over the years. Uh, people get drunk uh, for a variety of reasons. One of the first reasons that I think people uh, overdo it is, is they're celebrating. Who's been to that wedding? Anybody been to that wedding? I was at a wedding recently with my wife, Eleanor, and we were dancing on the dance floor, and um, this uh, um, not... Uh, uh, Unthirst, whatever. She, she had she had had a lot. Uh, she came up to me and she was very uh, passionately uh, uh, expressing her appreciation of my dance moves. It, it'd been a long time since my wife gave another woman a look, uh, <laughs> but it happened, and so we moved to another part of the uh, the experience there. Um, yeah, uh, lots of times people just are happy, and so they drink in in celebration, uh, but. Most people who drink on the regular, they're just doing it because it's, it's what they do. It's Friday, it's Saturday, it's, it's Tuesday. I mean, it's just, it's how they take, um, you know, some bite out of their life. It's, it's how they blow off some steam, whether it's on vacation or at the end of a long week. I, it's just what they do. But, but here's, here's my deal. For far too many, far too often, whether it's conscious or not, the bottle provides an escape, a way to medicate some hurt, uh, that's happened to them from their past. It, it offers a, a kind of temporary hope, as it were, a momentary distraction uh, from a harsh reality. So it is that I think Peter's drawing maybe some of his um, conclusions on this sober-minded metaphor. He's, he's saying, listen, man, I know you guys are prone, those of you who are reading my letter, you're prone to running to whatever you can find in life that will dull your pain and make the hurt of your trial stop for a minute, but, but that's not how we who follow Jesus are to live. We, we find our, our hope uh, with our eyes wide open in this clear-headed belief that Jesus is better than any inebriation or distraction that this world can offer us, including the bottles of power, uh, of earthly possessions, of fame and prestige, or, or anything else that our enemy might pour a shot of for us. It's a sober-minded hope that keeps us aware of who we are in Christ. Even more so, this sober-minded hope keeps us in the real and allows us to live in light of who Jesus is. It's like what our, our songs tell us when we sing them. He, Jesus is more than enough, and he's always more. <clears throat> he's our way maker, our miracle worker. He's our promise keeper. He's our light in the darkness. He is, as scripture tells us, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the source of our hope, the one who has come once to redeem us and who will come again to take us to a place that he has prepared for us. He is the alpha and the omega, the lion and the lamb, the way, the truth, and the life. 
And it's only with a sober mind that we can see these truths, remember these truths, and put them in play as we seek to hope in this life, in this Savior who has given us all that we have. This is what we're called to do as we follow him. So as we close today, man, can I just ask us again, like I did at the beginning of the service, what are we hoping for? Like, like I said then, maybe you're hoping for an end of the pandemic. I am too. Wouldn't that be great? Let's pray for that. Maybe you're hoping for the end of financial needs or, or for, for those financial needs that are new in your life to be met. Man, I, I trust and pray that, that you know, God's going to provide for those things. And, and, and where we can be a help to you as a church, we want to you know, point you in the directions that you can get help or be a help ourselves. We want to, yeah, I'm praying for that too. That's my hope. Maybe you're hoping for peace or for protection. Maybe you're hoping for more hope. I don't know. But, but here's God's hope for us. And it's my prayer for us. Let me, let me pray for us uh, these things. Will you bow with me? Father in heaven, I am grateful to you for the, <laughs> the huge amount of truth that you can pack into one verse. Thanks for helping us understand hope as uh, we have it in Christ. And, and Father, my prayer for everybody who's praying with me now is that you would help us um, in, in and lead us to girding up our loins, the, 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 the gird up the, the loins of our minds, to be prepared in our thinking for the actions that we must take. I pray and hope, God, that we would live with these sober minds that you prescribe for us, that, that we would see clearly what God is doing in and around us at all times and, and join him in uh, what he's doing in, in his world. Uh, Father, I, I pray that uh, <clears throat> we would be always setting our, our ultimate hope fully on the grace that we have received in Christ and that we will receive at, uh, at his return. Help us, God, to live um, in hope, in the hope that you give. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I thought we should end our time together singing one of those songs that I just referenced. Uh, we can have hope because Jesus is our way maker. Uh, will you sing that with me as we close?